Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast where we interview all the newsmakers and we have all the fun, which includes today's guest. We have Jeff Charles, host of a Fresh Perspective podcast, contributor to redstate.com and libertynation.com. He's at Jeff on the Right on Twitter. Thank you so much, Jeff, for joining us today. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, so let's talk about this. First off, you are doing contributing. You're all over the uh, the internet. I even see, saw that I think you're going to be speaking at some huge uh, event with other conservatives. And you're a black conservative. You're bringing that perspective, adding your voice to the national conversation surrounding how the government can do a better job of respecting the Constitution and honoring the rights of citizens. And so talk to me a little bit about the work that you do, especially the Fresh Perspective podcast. What, what's that all about? Yeah, so my, my podcast covers the issues of the day. Um, I've been doing a lot of interviews, but I also do my audio podcast by myself. And I talk a lot about the issues of the day, but I also talk about a lot of evergreen issues as well. Um, the, what I focus on, Stacey, on my podcast is I, I try to be a little bit different from the usual conservative podcast. I like to really dig deep into the issues. I like to add a lot of nuance into the situation um, because I think that's kind of what people want. So I, I don't like to keep things on a superficial level. I like to really dig deep into the issues and have discussions that, that are frank and that may not always go with the usual uh, conservative line, but my goal is always to get people to think and to, you know, go deeper than just the usual talking points. So um, I've been doing that for uh, since I mid to late last year, and it's uh, been pretty fun. It's, it's been pretty cool. I've been able to, to meet some cool people and do some good interviews. So that's an interesting um, going deeper than the talking points. So are, do you find yourself on the political spectrum? Are you center right or are you fully, you know, all the way on the side of the Republican Party platform, where do you fall in that spectrum? Yeah, so I, t- <laughs> I tend to identify as a conservatarian. So I'm a conservative libertarian type. Um, depending on what day it is, I might lean more libertarian and other day I might lean more conservative. Uh, I'm really big on individual liberty. I'm very big on um, being against a lot of military intervention. And I really want as small a government as possible. I'm not to the extent that to where I'm an anarchist, but um, I do want the government out of things as, as, as much as, as possible. So that's, that's kind of where I uh, stand on the spectrum. That's not unusual, actually. Um, I think a lot of us have moved away from wanting military intervention just because we've seen mm-hmm. how ineffective it is. Um, and mm-hmm. evolving on political viewpoints is actually the position of Thinkers, thinkers are able to, yeah. you know, shift positions depending on how uh, how a a previous position actually executes. Because it's one thing to have as a goal or an idea, but then upon execution and seeing the consequences and unintended consequences, one can certainly shift on issues. Um, so when you're talking about your fresh perspective and bringing people in to have those conversations. What kind of people do you talk to and how do you uh, kind of bring that into intersection with your work over at Red State and Liberty Nation? Because that those those avenues are ones in which, you know, Red State can be very critical of, of the MAGA movement and President Trump and also of the Republican Party. And that is probably what makes Red State Red State, that you go there. It's about Red State, but it's kind of like it's a place where, you know, punches get thrown um, in, in certain directions and it, it enriches the intercourse, if you will, the, 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 the going back and forth between the people. It definitely, I think, is better when we can actually have some criticism and then still at the end of the day, keep plugging away. 
Yeah, you're right. Uh, that, that's one of the things I love about being part of the Red State team. It, it is a very scrappy um, organization. And, um, you know, I, I frankly, I, I criticize both sides all the time. Like, I will criticize Republicans just as much as Democrats sometimes. The difference is that when I criticize the Republican side, it's because I want the Republican side to be better. I want the conservative movement to be better. And I want our our thinking to evolve in a way that allows us to actually provide solutions, especially when it comes to the black community. I mean, the question that I always get asked, why don't black people vote Republican? There's a lot of different reasons, but I don't think that a lot of people on the right really understand the totality of why that is. So, I mean, that, that's one of the things I talk about. And on my podcast, I mean, the, I, I talk to a wide variety of people. I just interviewed a former police detective um, after the shooting of Amir Locke, after that footage came out. Um, and we talked about no-knock raids, and I got the benefit of his insights, you know, as being a former detective for 20 years. Um, you know, I've spoken with him. I've spoken with people from the Hotep community. I've, uh, there's a lot of different people. I spoke with a, a relationship coach named uh, Coach Noah Ravoy. Talked a little bit about politics, but we also talked a little bit about the culture, about masculinity, about relationships. So I, I, I kind of run the gamut, and I really enjoy speaking with interesting people who might not get hurt as much otherwise. So that's that's actually, to me, that's the fun of doing uh, my podcast is I can often talk to people on here and have a much longer, more extended conversation um, with people who some might say they're outside the mainstream, but really in the in the age of Joe Rogan and Tucker Carlson, there isn't anybody <laughs> yeah. who's outside the mainstream anymore. It's whether or not you're willing to talk to them. That's that's what's mainstream or not. Can you talk to them? Do you want to? Um, once mm-hmm. you get past that hurdle, or maybe will they talk to you? That's been one for me where I've had uh, <laughs> I've had people that I wanted <laughs> to talk to and they don't want to talk, and I'm like, well, why don't you want to talk to me? I mean, why would you <laughs> not want to talk to me? Because we we would have a great conversation. So. Yeah. Joe Rogan has done a great job of that. He brings in people that are, quote unquote, completely unsuitable, disallowed, not not to be yeah. touched. And he brings them in and talks to them. And I think it's a great time to be alive when you can kind of say, OK, if that kind of rich, famous guy who is a real everyman, he's very kind of humble and regular, but then he's also Joe Rogan. If he'll talk to this doctor or that doctor or this person or that, then so can I. And that makes it more fun. I love to have podcasts where I, you know, I plug into it. I hear for the first time two mm-hmm. people talking who they shouldn't really technically be talking, but they are. Yeah, what I love about Joe Rogan, what he's done, and I think he kind of downplays himself sometimes, but what he's done is significant. He broke through the gatekeeping of the mainstream media. And I'm going to tell you, Stacey, that's why they hate him. They don't care about what words he used. They don't like the fact that he broke through. He can reach an audience without their say-so, without their control. And he doesn't have to play by the rules. There's a reason why he gets more uh, listens and viewers than CNN. And I think a lot of people are, are tired of the cable news format. I'm not going to you know, knock news outlets. I mean, but w- realistically, you don't get deep conversations on, on CNN and Fox News. It's just not the way it's set up. I mean, it's good for what it does. But if you're going to be on CNN, you're going to get just a few minutes to talk. And that barely scratches the surface of the issues. And so with Joe Rogan, his podcast will go two, three, four hours because they take their time. They're having a conversation and he wants to really dig deep on on, on what's going on. And I do think that people are craving it. I mean, even people who might not want to listen to a four hour podcast, they might listen to an hour long conversation or a half an hour long conversation. That is still a lot more meat than what you're going to get in general on cable news. 
and Joe Rogan does have that freedom. I don't have to be limited to the people that the powers that be at the cable news network select for me. Joe Rogan, I can I can listen to whoever I want on, on that show, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. They're trying, but they're failing. There's a lot of different forms of alternative media that are filling a niche. Your show, too. I mean, we want deep conversations, and we're going to get them. Maybe not on television, but definitely through the Internet. And I, I think it's a great thing. So it is a great thing. Um, I, I feel like, for me, it almost feels like sometimes it feels like it's going out and I'm not sure how many people are, are interacting with it. And then, you know, I'll kind of get in the throes of, well, I mean, how many people heard that? It was so good. And then someone will email me or the contact form on my website. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, hey, I heard such and so. And, you know, I just want you to know that was a great conversation or, or I learned something from it or I hated it, you know, something like that. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so, so, so people did hear it. So, you know, it's like, OK, well, it because it, usually those emails are representative. Like if one person is emailing you, there were a few other people who felt that way. So you're like, OK, well, that that actually did go out a little bit. Um, so let's talk about the, this is the. I'm I'm a little burnt. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I'm burnt because we don't have to be having a conflict in Ukraine. Be, we don't have to. And the reason we don't have to is because it was easily avoidable. Yet Biden seems to be Mr. Misfit Man. If he can find a problem, he'll help bring it to fruition. Talk to me a little bit about your take on what's happening in the Ukraine. You know, honestly, I, I, I mean, this stuff has been going on for a long time. And frankly, I don't think it's any of our business. Um, as far as getting militarily involved, I may be able to be persuaded as far as sanctions go and things like that, maybe, but this is not our business. We've got stuff to worry about here. And Biden, everybody knows that Biden never met a foreign policy issue that he didn't want to screw up. I mean, you saw how he handled Afghanistan, right? I mean, that's just an indicator of yet another reason why we shouldn't get involved, because under this president, we're going to mess it up. And frankly, in a lot of cases, we have gone in militarily, and we've made the situation worse. Do I agree with what Putin's doing? Of course not. But we're not the world's police. We don't really need to be involved beyond maybe some diplomatic measures. I'm okay with some of that. But and I, and so far, I don't. As far as I know, I don't think that Biden plans to send in the military. So that's good. But even with the sanctions that he's put on, I mean, I'm seeing that people are saying that they, they, these have no teeth to them. So I don't, it seems like Biden's just kind of phoning it in to me. Like he's trying to make it sound like he's doing something. He knows, and his close friends and allies in the activist media, they also know that this is a very welcome distraction from what's going on domestically, which is really what we should be focused on. I mean, when people wake up in the morning and they're eating their breakfast, they're not talking a whole lot about Ukraine. That might get a mention, but they're talking about jobs, supply chain issues, empty shelves, immigration, a a whole slew of issues that are far more important to us than what is going on in in Ukraine. Yeah. And, you know, so we do have 3000 troops that have gone over to support NATO in Poland. And basically, they're going to be helping with the refugee inflows because people from Ukraine are going to run from the war torn areas. Um, And and there's going to be some pretty nasty like persecution going on there for people who don't tow the Russian line. People who honestly they feel they're Ukrainians, not Russians. And so, um, you know, there there are there are also going to be some people there who are, uh, you know, very happy that this is going on. The separatists are certainly cooperating, yep. but we have no idea if those separatists are people who really, really do believe in 
Ukraine joining Russia again, or if they're people who were living in Russia recently <laughs> and now live in Ukraine so that they can be separatists <laughs> to facilitate this action, which again brings me back to uh, a, something you, you kind of touched on there. We have issues at home, but we also have issues in our hemisphere. We as a country should be speaking out against the tyranny that is currently going on in Canada. Mm-hmm. We should be working on improving the Northern Triangle countries so that they don't send 40% of their population to America. Yep. Um, we should be working on sealing up our Southern border for our sovereignty and for the benefit of black Americans. I had Roy back on my Sirius XM show and he was talking about this new book that he's written. And it's a book that he wrote specifically to research black wealth attainment during illegal immigration surges. The title of the book is Back in the Hiring Line, A 200-Year History of Immigration Surges, Employer Bias, and Depression of Black Wealth. He found that whenever we have an immigration surge, illegal immigration, black wealth shrinks. So it's directly correlated. And he, he's, he's not a racist. Most people who you know are, are open borders people will say, oh, Roy Beck of Numbers USA, he's a racist. He's actually not. Yeah, he's he, actually he saying like brown people, right? <laughs> of course, brown or black people, which you and I are both sitting here in those categories. And uh, it, it's nonsense. The guy is just trying to say that when you give employers an option to hire a black person who is an American citizen who expects to have a break once or twice a day, be able to get up and go use the restroom and to get off at a reasonable hour and to be paid $10, 12 $15 an hour, or you give them the choice between someone who barely speaks English, doesn't know the laws, doesn't know what their rights are, and will work for $8 an hour because they've never earned $8 in a day. So $8 an hour, they're going to treat you like they're you know God king because they feel like you're giving them something they've never had before then that employer is going to lean towards hiring that illegal alien if they can get away with it, if there's no enforcement. So it depresses black wages and it steals yeah. the opportunity for black people to climb out of poverty or climb out of the working class to the middle class. And people really have gotten so stupid they can't comprehend that. So he's written this book. And you know these are issues that we should be dealing with our energy, our mental energy, and all of our taxpayer dollars that we waste in the Middle East and now, you know, over yeah. in Ukraine, that's money that should be spent here solving those problems and in our hemisphere solving issues that we actually, we can actually have a huge uh, impact on Northern Triangle countries because we look at what, what, what have we done in Mexico? We have over 1 million mm-hmm. jobs there. That's what we've done. So that's why they're no longer pouring into the U.S. because they can work at a factory in their own country, maintain their um, their culture and live where they where they feel like like this is my country, but I also have a job here. This is doable for us. Yes, yes, it, it's very doable. I mean, and I'm glad that you brought the immigration issue. I'm going to have to pick up that book. What was the name of the video? It's called "Back of the Hiring Line: A 200 Year History of Immigration Surges, Employer Bias, and Depression of Black Wealth." And the author is Roy Beck. He's the president of Numbers USA. Um, they're the ones who do the, the their pieces of candy, and they show immigration flows by using these candy balls gobstoppers mm-hmm. and they have them in tubes and they show you how our immigration has increased using the candy though he, he's also always routinely called a racist he's the nicest man ever of like course. the absolute nicest and smartest man ever you know it's amazing i mean and it's it's not surprising they call everybody racist but to me i'll borrow, uh, borrow a phrase from kanye west anybody who supports open borders does not care about black people and, and because they know that a lot of americans don't realize 
how detrimental of an impact immigration has had on black Americans, not just illegal immigration, even legal immigration. It depresses wages for black Americans. It is we who suffer because of this when it comes to jobs. I mean, the starkest reminders of that for me was like, if you if you remember shortly after Hurricane Katrina and they wanted to rebuild New Orleans and especially in the black neighborhoods, and they wanted to help rebuild their own cities. But guess what happened? They were pushed out by illegal immigrants. So they hired illegal immigrants to help rebuild these communities instead of allowing the black residents who have history there to rebuild them. I mean, we also had the situation in Mississippi with those plants where they had hired a lot of illegal immigrants. They discriminated against black Americans in favor of people who broke the law to get here. And I get that they have their needs, too, but I'm going to back up my American citizens first. And that whole thing went down. Those two examples are just a microcosm of what goes on. I suspect that in that book, I like that that somebody wrote about that because it needs to be said. And and just like a lot of other so-called progressive policies, they say that they're designed to help the marginalized. But in the end, it ends up hurting who they see as marginalized, especially when it comes to black people. And they know it. See, before I was like, well, maybe they don't just realize how badly this is hurting black Americans. They know because you've seen them shift from being a party that was about working um, union members. Now, Democrats are much more inclined to talk about um, illegal aliens. They shifted. They basically shunted off the union workers. They only use them when they're talking about teachers unions. But all the other unions can go kick rocks. I think Biden said that pretty loudly when he canceled the Keystone XL jobs. Those were union jobs, uh, professional unionized members who literally voted for him and then were immediately rewarded by him destroying their jobs. Um, and then you, when you talk about you know, this is their policy and that it hurts black Americans. They know that because remember the WikiLeaks cables, we read their emails, Donna Brazil and others talking about how Democrat policies don't help black people. It doesn't seem like any policy helps blacks. Well, actually, that's not true. Their policies don't help us, but blacks can be helped by good policy. We saw that during the Trump years. We've seen it during Republican administrations where they applied true Republican Party principles, not this nonsense, not the rhino stuff, um, not let's reach across the aisle stuff. The stuff you find in the Republican Party platform, when it is applied judiciously in policy, black Americans are helped, and so are all Americans. It's really funny, Jeff, how black Americans can be helped by the same policies that help white Americans and Hispanic Americans. It's so odd why we we don't actually need our own policy. We just need good policy, period, and we are helped as well. Whenever you have actual conservative policy that gets the government out of the way, everybody succeeds. I mean, if you look at, like, say, in, in the cities that Democrats run— what are some of the biggest obstacles to black success there? It's the government. It's the government placing regulations or placing laws or all kinds of laws that are, I believe, specifically like you, specifically designed to keep as many black people in those conditions as possible. I mean, the way I look at it, Stacey, is like if if you have a policy and, you know, first five years it doesn't work, okay, benefit of the doubt. When it goes 10, 20 30, 40 years, and you're still doing the exact same policies, and nothing has changed, I'm sorry, by now, you're doing it on purpose. Like, I'm sure that there's a lot of these politicians who are naive, and they actually think this is going to work. But no, the, the, the overall apparatus, they know that these policies are not going to work, and they're doing them anyway, because if you keep people in, it in that perpetual state, it's easier to use them. The Black community is nothing but a useful tool to the Democratic Party. That's how they see us. Not all of them, but enough of them. They they don't care about what we're going through. They don't care about what we need. They care about how they can use us. I mean, we were just talking about Joe Rogan. 
they weaponize the black community against Joe Rogan, knowing good and well that they don't care if a white guy uses the N-word, because there are plenty of examples of people on their side, Joe Biden, who has used it in the same context, and they don't care. But they saw us as a weapon to use against them. So it's very difficult for me to take these people seriously when they say that they care about black people, but then they push things like immigration or defund the police, stuff like that. I was just talking to my girlfriend about this. Like, this is just so blatant that it's very difficult for me to understand why people don't see this yet. So now that we we know um, where the where the Democrats really are and now that we see polling for black Democrats recently that showed that 66 percent of blacks approve of Joe Biden unless you ask them about inflation. And then the numbers reverse and, and, and their, their disapproval is in the in the 60s. So if you look at that, well, it's 57 percent, but it's very close to, to 60 percent. So when you look yeah. at it that way, when people's pocketbooks start to hurt, when they are unable to purchase like, you know, chicken thighs and bacon and and uh, stuff mm-hmm. that you normally don't think of as being outrageous. We're not talking about prime rib or, uh, you know, lamb chops. We're talking about real like normal things that people have always been able to afford. Even chicken wings, four thirty nine mm-hmm. a pound in some places. That's the kind of stuff that'll make you think again. Like, did I did I do this right? Maybe maybe I am supporting the wrong person. Um do you think the messaging that the Republicans, because they're currently executing the long-awaited and much-encouraged pivot to being an education party, thank God, because that's a huge issue with black people, yes. but do you think they're going to be able to actually pivot effectively and leave behind the higher-minded discussions about bigger government, smaller government? Because th- these are important things, but you start off at people's kitchen tables. Once you're at the kitchen table, then you can say, by the way, we need smaller government in order to get you that school choice you want. And then people are like, oh, so that's what small government is about, getting the government out of the way of me getting my kid into a good school? Tell me more. But we can't start off with discussions about, you know, uh, Ayn Rand and smaller government and, you know, libertarianism. We can't. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. People don't want to hear it. They want to hear something good. And so they'll go listen to Joe Rogan, who honestly, great interviews, but he doesn't talk policy. He's not a Republican. So the messaging from the GOP needs a shift. And sometimes I feel like, you know, they're too busy ironing their sweater vest to get it done. I do criticize them, but I, I also support, right, Jeff? I, I support them because I can't support Democrats. So I have to have, there's only two of them. I'm, I'm choosing to support the Republicans because their platform matches up with the word of God, which I am primarily concerned with. And so, you know, but they, they still need help. They need help getting out of their, you know, you don't have to catalog every sweater vest you own by its, you know, makeup and, and cashmere content. Get to some messaging, which is what I really want to see them do. Do you think they can do it? Uh, well, Stacey, they've always been able to do it. It's just a matter of whether they want to or not. So now, now I'm going to get on Republicans. And and, I, and I, the stuff I'm going to say, just keep in mind, too, that right now I am cautiously optimistic. But the issue with the Republicans, and this, is, this has a whole history behind it. I won't bore you with all the details. But the bottom line is that, especially since the 60s, the GOP stopped courting black voters. I mean, if we're just going to be real about this. I mean, yeah, the Democrats are horrible, but the, the GOP, they kind of just gave up. Um, it started with Barry Goldwater, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for even mentioning him in that way. But still, it did. I mean, if, if you look at the history, it is. He basically said, let's stop courting black voters. But he's not the only one. As time went on, the GOP withdrew from the cities, and they just felt like they couldn't get the black vote. They wouldn't be able to get it back. And that has caused a huge issue. And honestly, that has contributed to the perception that the Republican Party is racist. Now, that's not accurate. 
But if you're not in these neighborhoods showing up, giving your message, talking about the kitchen table issues that you brought up, how are they, why, why would anybody believe you? You're not there so that they can see that you're not. So am I optimistic? Yes, because I think they can change their messaging. We've had individuals who have. Governor Mike Huckabee, when he ran for governor, he got 48% of the black vote in Arkansas. That was unheard of back then. So when I've seen that when a Republican candidate actually tries, they can increase their black voters' support. It doesn't mean that they're going to get 90% of it. I mean, it's going to take time at this point because we've spent so much time outside of these neighborhoods. But I think it can happen. I mean, if you look at a man named Jalen Johnson in Albany, Georgia, he ran for city commissioner. He's a Republican. That's a 70% black district. And he won. And all he did was he showed up, he registered voters, he talked about the principles. He didn't necessarily say, I'm a Republican. He, he ran as an independent because it is a nonpartisan race, but he just talked to principles. He, he talked about the issues that they were facing and applied conservative solutions. It's simple. It's not complicated, but we make it so complicated. Showing up is half the battle. If we start showing up consistently, not just for a, an election season and then we give up, but consistently over time, the Republican Party, I'm very confident, can get enough of the black vote to make the Democrats nervous. Well, and the the trend for Hispanics is they're trending towards the Republican side. Um, yes. Also, black Americans are moving, albeit more slowly. But I think it's because it's an issue of uh, identity. And so for most Democrats, and I really find this, it's Republicans and Democrats and even people who call themselves independents. It's an identity as well. So instead of it being I affiliate with this group because I believe in their ideals and the minute they stop having the ideals that I identify with, I will no longer be one of them. It's Mm -hmm. I'm a Republican because Republicans are this. And then there's no way for you to decouple. That leaves no room for decoupling. Like I can't decouple from being a black woman. No matter what these trans activists say, I can't be a trans white woman. I can't be a man. I can't, you know, I got to be what God made me. So I can't leave that. And if, if your party affiliation becomes a part of your identity, then it is much harder to decouple. And so the things that you have mentioned, you know, whether it's education or not wanting to get involved in these foreign entanglements, whether, you know, it's on the spectrum, anywhere you look on that spectrum, if you begin to see it as, okay, politics is a tool, these are issues, this mm-hmm. party more closely aligns with my issues, it's not about me being a Democrat because my parents were Democrats and somewhere mm-hmm. in my family they had a picture of you know JFK on the wall like he was a relative. It's more like we identified <laughs> with them, but now the party ideals over there have shifted, and so now we're going to identify with this group because of the platform. Then you can honestly say, because I've told candidates before when they have these little meet and greets, I tell him, you know what, you seem a little wishy-washy on abortion. And I can tell you, if you're not pro-life, I can't vote for you. So I will leave your spot blank if I have to on, on the ballot. I just won't vote for you, for, for, your, for your race. And then I'll start working against you. So, you know, where, where are you on abortion? And don't just give me the party line. Well, we believe that life begins at conception. Yeah, but what are you going to do about it once the life is here on this earth? Are you willing to work to advance legislation that supports pregnancy resource centers? Because they're the ones who are bringing the diapers and the, the milk and the, the rent payments and bringing a kitchen table and a washer and dryer to a new mom. They're the ones putting these girls up when they get kicked out of the house for being pregnant and letting them live there with their other kids indefinitely. And that takes funding and it takes legislation that protects these organizations. Don't just say womb to tomb. I got you. I'm there too. But what what are we going to do afterwards? 
it's that kind of discussion that helps them understand that it's a platform issue that they need to defend and and promote as opposed to me coming up and saying, you know, high five because you're a part of the MAGA nation. That's awesome. I've done the death march down four and a half miles to hear President Trump speak in a hangar in Columbia, Missouri. I've done all that. I, I got the cowgirl boost to prove it. But I'm talking about policy here. We need to start confronting yeah. these people in their faces about policy and hold the, the rallies. You know, the rallies are appropriate and fun. But we're not talking about rallies when they're in D.C. getting beat up by Dianne Feinstein. We need better yes. people. They need to be stronger. You are speaking my language right now, Stacey. Like, I mean, and, and going back to what you said about the party, like a part of my motto is principles over politics. I'm about the principle. I'm not about the Republican Party. I don't even identify as Republican. I identify as a conservative or a conservatarian. But you're right. I do see people who are just loyal to a party. I'm like, what happens when that party leaves you? And that's why you, what you've seen with the Democrats. As they move further left, people find themselves politically homeless. And by the way, I think that's one of the things that's affecting how black people feel about the Democratic Party, because black people are not progressives. They're not leftists. We, we are more moderate, and a lot of us are even conservative, even though they vote Democrat. But you're right. It should be about policy. It's, a, it's substance. And I see, you know, I see a lot of these candidates, and they're running, and you know, they make you feel good. They give these speeches. But when it comes to policy, they're, like you said, they're, they're wishy-washy. And we need to be better at articulating what we're going to bring to the table. Like you said, womb to tomb. I, I, and when people criticize the Republican Party for only caring about the life when it's inside the womb, but not when it comes out, I think there's some validity to that because I don't think that we have messaged appropriately how our solutions, once that baby is born, if we're going to insist that it's born, which we should, What's going to happen after that? I'm not saying that the government needs to step in like that, but what conservative solutions are there to make sure that that baby has an opportunity at a successful life as they get older? We focus so much on bashing Democrats, and believe me, I I will bash some Democrats. I have no problem with it. It's one of my favorite things. But we should be also spending as much or even more time talking about what we bring to the table. Because at the end of the day, the voter is going to say, okay, yeah, I know the Democrats suck, but why should I vote for you? What are you, what are you going to do? Like, I'm, the whole, you know, vote for me because I'm not a Democrat, that's a short-term strategy. And I think that Republicans are going to win the House and probably the Senate just because of that. But they're not going to keep the legislature if they don't say, hey, America, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. These are the policies we're going to pass. And then actually do it, not just say it, but get into office and fight for it. They may not get everything that they want, but they need to be working towards it. And I think that we just need a shift in our thinking. It can't just be reacting to the left anymore. It has to be we need to set the tone. Make them react to us. That's one thing that President Trump did masterfully. He Mm -hmm. turned the left into reactionaries. Whereas previously, it's always our side that's just reacting. No, they reacted to Trump. Trump set the tone of the day. He set the agenda. We need more people like that. And and the GOP needs to take notice and say, no, we set the agenda now. We're in power. You react to us and we'll maybe give you some consideration. Like, that's what we need. And honestly, the establishment Republican Party has been feckless. They don't do that. But I think I I have more hope now because I think we have more people now who are willing to take that strong stance. Yeah. And, you know, again, so when we take it out of the identity and put it into the, you know, it's a platform, it's something we're supporting, it takes some of the emotionality out of it. And then it puts it in a position where we can execute on it the way Trump. So you talked about that. That is something that I think we've seen it done. We love the way it was done, but we can't actually get there to be able to do it effectively ourselves until we put it in the proper position 
which is, you know, these are these are platform issues. These are things we believe in. We believe they make people's lives better. And the minute we see that they don't, we're willing to move on to the next opportunity. We're not like Democrats where they just try out ideas they have when they're, you know, maybe on, on the toilet or something and they have a stupid idea and they're like, this is a great policy. Let's call it the Green New Deal. Let's replace every structure in America. Right. It's something like that. It's something having to do with the bathroom that's not good. And then they, they, they put that out there. And then when it doesn't work, they're like, hmm, well, maybe we should make it a little more extreme because it's not working now. No, no, that's not what we need. We need we need proven ideas. And so the Republican side is a little more boring because we're always talking about policy that works. But you're right. Trump did take workable policy and he put it into little bites where he could come out and talk about it. And then he mocked people who either didn't understand it, wouldn't take the time to understand it, or only want to promote the bathroom policies. He would mock them for it. And that was how he was able to get people to listen and, and pay attention. Mm-hmm. And so they would pick up some of it. I hate that we are in a society now that we're so like, you know, eight seconds is all you've got because yeah. there are great ideas that people aren't getting. But when when it's painful, when the chicken thighs are nine ninety nine for four, when the wings are twenty four ninety five for a package that only feeds, you know, a normal size family – People will start paying attention. And that's where we are. Unfortunately, fortunately, that's where we are. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, it, and you know, it, I think that it is possible to make policy sexy again. I mean, if you look at Trump, his stance on immigration, he didn't come out and say, I'm going to stop illegal immigration. No, he said, I'm going to build a big, beautiful wall. Now, people can visualize that. They can't visualize dealing with illegal immigration, but they sure can visualize a big, beautiful wall. And they either love it or they hate it. But <laughs> President Trump is a master communicator. I don't know if you're familiar with Scott Adams, and he wrote a book all about how... Oh, yeah. Well, tr- yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Win Bigley. I mean, he basically maps out how Trump is a master persuader. And, and he is, because even when I saw him on the campaign trail, and I didn't, frankly, I didn't like him at first, but I was like, this guy is good. I still, I had to admire the game, because I'm like, this guy, he sounds like a salesman, but he's a good salesman. He's very good at it. And so uh, we do need more visionaries like that, able to cast a vision as to what policy is. Like even with the school choice movement, I mean, they're talking about that they have their slogan, funding students instead of systems. Mm -hmm. That's a phrase that can stick. I'm so shocked, Stacey. Like the Republicans are actually getting better at messaging. I mean, I know know that you've been around in the the movement for a while. So you, you know what I mean when I say the Republicans are not good at messaging. Like they traditionally have not been. But I'm seeing them. But I think that's pre-Trump. So, so Jeff, that's pre-Trump. Yes. Um, You're right. Post-Trump, and you know, I'm not saying post like he's not ever going to rejoin us, and you know, he's still the leader of the party. But yeah. when I say post-Trump, post that 2016 campaign, post the refinement of that message in the 2020 campaign, um, mm. now we see Republicans kind of going, "Hey, you know, I never liked Trump. I hear that all the time from from Republicans. I never liked him." But he was good on messaging. I mean, aside from the mean tweets, which the mean tweets were messaging and they were actually a sliver of what he put out. If you really actually followed his his stream, most of it was policy announcements of policy that he was rolling out of the White House. But the mean tweets, it was like, you know, follow the bouncing light and, you know, like cats will follow a a, a pen light. They'll follow it to their death. They'll jump off a cliff if you have a pen light. 
And this is what people would do. They would jump off the cliff into emotionality over one tweet against Putin, who is our enemy, or against Democrats, who are also our enemies, when every, like, 20 tweets before that were all about policy. You know, the median household income for a family of four, or, you know, a new program he was rolling out, HBCU permanent funding, which, by the way, Jeff, we all, all us black conservatives realize Biden reduced it down to $2 billion. It was $42 billion under Trump. So, I mean, for a racist, he was really mm-hmm. bad at it. But we have to take up the mantle of if you need a shiny light, then I'll give you a shiny light. Let me send you messages that will get you to actually pay mm-hmm. attention to what I'm saying. And at some point you're going to realize I'm on your side. I'm just mean about it. But I, I, I tell this to our kids as well. Sometimes they'll be like, well, I can't believe you said that to my coach, mom. Or and I'm like, yeah, but I'm on your side. So even when you can't believe what I've said, in the end, the benefit is to you. Everything I do, the benefit is to you. You may not like the way it feels in the moment, but at the end, the benefit is to you. And they just look at me like, you know, we can't argue with her because she's just, her mouth is always moving. She's always talking. I'm like, that's why you can't argue with me. Also, I'm your mom. So just let me be the benefit to you, right? (laughs) That's how we have to be as Republicans. We have to be their moms and their dads. The benefit is to you. You don't like the way it's coming down, but the benefit is to you. They have to realize that about us. They do. It's like, a, I'm sure you remember that show House. I mean, the doctor. <laughs> I mean, horrible bedside manner. Horrible. <laughs> but he got the job done. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would prefer to see somebody with a little bit more finesse, but not without that feistiness, not without that pugilistic. I think that's why a lot of people like Ron DeSantis, because mm-hmm. he'll take it to the media, but he knows how to finesse it better. Now, I mean, I, I'm not going to get into Trumpers or DeSantis. I'm just, I'm just saying in general, I think that the base wants somebody who's willing to fight and willing to fight on policy and willing to articulate policy in a way that makes sense. And I I like what's going on. I I do. I mean, I like what Trump brought to the table. I mean, with Trump, I call balls and strikes. When he does something I like, I'm going to praise him. If he does something I don't like, I'll criticize him. I have that. I did the same thing. Yeah. I'm like that with everybody. So I criticized him, but I also gave him his props where it was due. Um, yeah. And he did a lot of really good work. And so when I would criticize him, I rarely had anybody push back on me on criticizing something he said or did because they knew that when he deserved praise on something, I gave it to him. And I do the yeah. same thing with Democrats, too. Um, if there's a Democrat out there like Ilhan Omar recently said she doesn't understand why anybody would announce the names or persecute someone for donating to the trucker convoy in Canada for giving 40 bucks. I was like, well, I mean, it might be the apocalypse. A pig might fly through my window. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm agreeing with Ilhan Omar. She's right. If there were pigs flying. Well, that's something I've been waiting for because I've agreed with Ilhan Omar. I agreed with Charlemagne. I I mean, I'm like, Mm -hmm. what? I agreed with Bill Maher. I'm scared. I'm worried about my windows, but I will do it. (laughs) If, If they're right, they're right. Even if it's only twice, like broken clock, they're still right. I'm still going to call that out. I'm so glad you could join us today. Um, I think we had an extended podcast episode. This is like a Joe Rogan-esque podcast where we normally go for 20 minutes, but we went a little long. And I think it's excellent. I think people are going to enjoy the conversation. Um, Hopefully we can talk again. I I would be happy to talk to you again about these issues because especially, you know, we need that common sense and we have to be real about what's happening. And I feel like you're right in the center of that. Um, There's links to all of your sites in the show notes for today's podcast. Jeff Charles, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. (laughs) All right. And that's the podcast. You can find out more at Stacey on the Right and FamilyVisionMedia.org. I'm also on Truth Social, y'all. Find me there. God bless you. We'll see you again soon.